Good morning again. Good morning. It's uh, thank you for having me with you again, and uh, just after Easter, and it is uh, wonderful that uh, I can catch up here with you. Uh, you've given me Isaiah 65, chapter 65, uh, and the title "A New People and a New Home." I have added a third phrase to it. On this side of Easter, as we are on this side of Easter. Now, uh, we are coming to the, you are coming to the end of uh, the book of Isaiah and the climax of what God is doing, not just for Israel of that time, but really using that God is talking about what He is going to do for the whole creation. And uh, as you probably have heard many times, the book of Isaiah is like a mini uh, scripture, mini Bible. Uh, there are 36, uh, th- sorry, 39 Old Testament books in the Bible and 27 New Testament books, making it 66. As you know, Isaiah has 66 chapters. The first 39 chapters uh, is kind of the first part of Isaiah, and then the next uh, 27 chapters from chapter 40 onwards is almost like a second part of Isaiah's. And the first 39 chapters is a lot about conviction, about judgment, about condemnation, the two C, conviction and condemnation. And the second part of Isaiah, which is from 40 onwards, is about comfort. It's about care. It's another two C, comfort and care. It's about God's deliverance. It's about God's uh, redemption and his glory with us. So we come to the final chapters of Isaiah when we talk about new heavens and new earth. It reminds me of the final chapters of the New Testament, of Revelation. As we saw in Revelation chapter 2, John, the disciple, saw the vision of the 10,000 years, the millennium. When judgment was dished out to the evil and to to Satan, and as we got, and, and, and as we, what we see, uh, very well read, Colleen, that uh, is what God will do in this last parts of Isaiah in the last portion of chapter 65 we read and next week when you were when you are to go into chapter 66 now as I said while Isaiah is talking about Israel in fact Paul the apostle Paul in uh, in, in Romans chapter 10 actually says brings in quotes Isaiah 65 and said that this really applies God is also talking about the calling of the Gentiles, calling of people who are not Jewish uh, in origin, such as you and I, into his family. Today I want to uh, reflect Isaiah 65 in three sections. The first section, the, the, the first thing I want to talk about is actually the last section, which is on verses seven, uh, 17 to 25. It's about, uh, as Colin said, you know, good things are, you know, happening now. Uh, it's about the last long session, uh, of joy, of victory, of glory in a new, in new heavens and a new earth. And the middle section, which is around verse 6 to uh, 16, uh, is how this session, you know, this new session is going to start, how it is going to start now. The kingdom of God is going to come. It's growing, it's starting, it's, it's, it's blossoming uh, into the era of the full fullness of the kingdom of heaven. And then I'm going to reflect on the very first few verses uh, which reveals about the God who speaks 
on these two sessions. Okay. Life is quite tough. Life is not meant to be easy, as one of our prime ministers said. It has many ups and downs. There may be periods of smooth sailing and raft. Thank you for the history on war. That only 8%, is that right? Uh, of our world history, uh, world history has peace. It has its up and down, and uh, we may have some smooth sailing, but these times are often interrupted in our own lives by sadness, by uh, illnesses, and I reflect upon my brother-in-law, who is very close to me, about my age, uh, you know, in the hospital, on ventilator at the moment for the last 14 days, unconscious. Uh, yeah, it is hard. When you get older, chronic pain, disabilities, and when we are in our middle age, jobs, finances, securities, injustices, inequalities, this is a sad world. Disappointments, mistakes we make, others make, losses, griefs, accidents. What a world. And for some people, this feels so entrenched, so chronic. It is really quite difficult. And even more so as I work in missions uh, in, in the third world. I mean, we, Raf mentioned about Afghanistan. We almost, the world, the media has almost forgotten Afghanistan. We're on to Ukraine now. But I read an article last week about uh, the poverty in Afghanistan. Half of the population, the United Nations said, are hungry in Afghanistan. 95% uh, do not have enough to eat. Almost everyone. And... Uh, this is the, in an article, it tells a story about this boy. His family was in debt as a result of the poverty. But he was lucky enough to be able to sell his kidneys in order to pay off the debt for $4,500 debt. Afghanistan. I work a lot uh, with people in Myanmar. We, we don't hear about Myanmar anymore. But as this is about two months ago, Christian family, because of the faith of that village, the whole village was burned, even though this is a very simple basic house. It's a burnt house. All this family of six jammed into that house, and the house has now got a leaking roof. And when this mother got COVID when he was, she was pregnant. The hospital would not allow her to go into the hospital for treatment because she is a Christian. Because the hospital is only allowing in that particular village for the military and their families. And so this poor mother could not even get out of bed. She's almost dying and the love of other Christian brothers and sisters came and helped her and miraculously, she was able to deliver this baby here. And the baby looks so small, so hectic. And we have helped a little bit financially. And, 
and be able to, hi. I can keep on with stories like this. You can, you know of stories like this. You know of stories not just in Afghanistan, not just in, in Myanmar, not just in Ukraine, not just in, in Thailand, in, 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 in Nepal, in India, in Sri Lanka. This is our world. This is the world that God has created. But you know what God says? No! This is not how it will continue. This is not how it should be. Not how it would be. This is not my plan, God says. I have a solution for this. And this is where Isaiah 65 comes in. In verse 17, God says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. All these, all these former things will be not remember and they will not come to mind. All these will pass and it will, they will all be forgotten. Instead, verse 17 to 25 tells me that we will all be glad. We will rejoice forever. The city, our city, the Jerusalem will be a delight. Our people, you and I, we will be a joy. Not only when we look at ourselves, we are a delight city. Not only when we look at ourselves that we are a joy, other people look at us. It's a delight. It's a joy. And more importantly, the next verse said that God looked at us and he rejoiced. I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. There will be no more weeping, no more crying. How wonderful is that? There will be no injustices. People will rightly enjoy the fruits of their efforts. They will be blessed. You know, when I read that, that, that verse about people enjoying the fruits of their poor, I think of those poor countries. I think of those poor people. How hard they work. They build little bricks in India. They, they chisel in the quarries. A big rock into a small thing and they got 50 cents or 20 cents for it. When I was in Cambodia, how did the kids go into the rubbish tips and they pick up the plastic bottle and whole baskets of it and they get 20 cents for it? No, God says that people will enjoy the fruits of their efforts. They will be blessed and their children will not suffer misfortune. There will be peace throughout. Even the wolf and the lamb and the lion and the ox will be together. And Satan and the evil will be bound and will be cast out, will be conquered. The Bible scholars say that this is not only only in the miniature Bible of Isaiah in the last chapter, but it is the same thing if you were to read Revelation chapter 20, 21, and 22. For Jesus said, for, for John said of Jesus said, and I saw, John said, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. That is in Revelation chapter 21 verse 1. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Brothers and sisters, that is our destiny. That is where we will end up to be. And leading into this, the next section of Isaiah, the middle section of Isaiah, into this season of new heavens and new earth in verses 8 to 16, we see what the Lord promises for you and I, my servants. For those of us who are seeking the Lord, in contrast to those who have forgotten Him, who have given themselves to self 
indulgence, despite God's repeatedly calling them, speaking to them, reaching out to them, these selfish, rebellious, evil-doing people, they will fall on their, their own sword, they will fall on God's sword, they will be broken, they will be anguished. This is all in the, in the scripture. In an anguished heart, they will fail. While my servants, while you and me, even as we work towards that new heavens and earth, and a new earth, they will be fulfilled. They will eat and they will not be hungry. They will, they will drink and they will be not thirsty. Now we can be fulfilled. We can be satisfied. They will be honored and not be put to shame. They will rejoice. They will be filled with joy of their hearts, singing with joy and gratitude. Oh, and like, like God promised to Abraham, those who curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. There will be blessings and they will, you, we, will become blessings as well. Past troubles will be forgotten and no more. This is what Jesus promised, an abundant life for you and for I, for me, right now. Some of you may say at this stage, Really? Really? Right? Is that true in my life? If I were to come today and was standing in the foyer, which didn't happen, but just said that I arrived, and then someone came to me and said, look, and then started pouring out all his troubles. You know, my wife has stage four cancer. I am really struggling. Or another person said, I'm having a breakdown in relationship with my daughter who is now a drug addict. Or when you will say that my wife and I have been quarreling like mad. I'm so ill myself. I'm so heartbroken. Or you can say that I've lost my job or my investment has collapsed. And I said to you, I, I didn't say that, but let's say I said to you, I listened, I was calm, and I said to you, hey, don't worry, trust me. I promise you, all this will pass. I will fix it for you. Would you trust me? Can you trust me? I don't think you should. Because there are two conditions for this person to be able to make that promise and execute that promise fully. And the first condition is that I care. I care for it so deeply that I sacrificially will put my time, my effort, my resources, my money, my, my talents for you. Not just today, but for a long, long time. That I have a deep heart for you and I will love you sacrificially. I can't claim that and you know I wouldn't. Even though I love you as my brothers and sisters. And the second thing, which is just as important, in fact, more importantly, is that I do have the absolute, total ability to do this, to fix this, to create a new life for you. I can't. I don't have the magic wand or ability to do that. And so for me, for us, to really absorb this new heavens and a new earth, an abundant life of eat and not be hungry, drink and not be thirsty, rejoice pouring out uh, in songs from my heart. The person who tells me that the guarantor of this promise 
I like to know who he is. Can he do it? So, the first few verses of Isaiah 65 is very important, biblical to me. Uh, okay, thank you. This is the first few verses. I review myself to those who did not ask me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. All day long I have held up my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imagination. A people who continuing provoke me to my very face, etc., etc. God is saying, He is a God who seeks us lovingly, with great patience, with great persistence, with great tolerance, even when we provoke Him in His face. Even when we worship the gardens, the nature, the, the physical, the, the, the spiritual realms, elements around us. Even when we have idols, physical or not. And when we turn our backs to him. Even when we worship the dead, the dead and the spirits of the dead instead. When we indulge in impure things with our bodies, with our eating, with, with our behavior. When we say, I am holier than you, with our pride, with our arrogance, with our ignorance, even when we are like smoke in his nostrils, a fire that keeps burning, abusing him, abusing God, insulting him, wounding him, contemptuous, and burning his heart. He said, I am a God that will still seek you, that held out my hands while you sin against me. Obstinate, rebellious, sinful, pursuing your own indulgence and gratifications. Even when you did not ask, when you did not seek, when you did not call on my name, I am there to be found. Now, as you remember, I added one part to the title, A New People which is you and I, a new home, which is the abundant life working into the kingdom of God, new heavens and new earth, on this side of Easter. You see, when God says that, here am I, here am I, is he here? When God says, I reach out my hand to help you, did he? That's why Easter, on this side of Easter, for us, fortunate enough to be on this side of Easter, we knew He came to be with us. We knew that there is more substance and more meaning to the words of Isaiah 65. I have been reflecting over this last Easter, Psalms 22. I appreciate a lot about Psalms 22. And uh, for some times, I could not grasp Psalm 22. It's a mysterious and sad psalm. I'm going to put the next slide on. It's very small writings, I know, so don't try to read it. <laughs> and uh, But I put it there for a reason, which I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. 
You see, Psalm 22, when you go home, please read, especially the first 18 verses of Psalm 22. It's a sad and mysterious psalm. Because in the psalm, you know, especially the first 18 verses, David, King David, who wrote this psalm, uh, he, he described the experience of an excruciatingly painful execution. But problem is David never had such an event in his life, neither during or before he wrote the psalms or even towards the end of his life. Indeed, the psalm is become known now as a prophecy, a prophecy of the execution experience that is described for the Messiah, for Christ. A thousand years later, Psalms 22 was probably written about 1004 BC. A thousand years later, that what Jesus was going to undergo, uh, to, to undergo on the, on the cross. Why did God write down this crucifixion experience so vividly a thousand years before it happens? Now, during that time, there's no crucifixions. Really, people hanging on the tree was not really done until a few hundred years later, and then even then, the first hanging wasn't by the nail. The house hanging was by the tree, hanging upside down with the rope. And it was really very close to the, to the BC AD time before crucifixion was introduced by the Roman Empire. Why did God do that? As I meditate on it, I felt, and if you read the Psalms, the, the, the tone, the atmosphere, the spirit of the Psalm, you will feel that God was pouring his heart out about the sharing pain, the tearing pain that he would be going through for us. God was, you know, like we have memories sometimes of very sad things that has happened in our life. You see, God was able to have that memory not just backwards, but forwards. God can remember forwards. And he is remembering forwards that, you know, that the king of kings. How sad, how cruel, how harsh, how heartbroken his own journey on earth will be. And how it will lead to a horrific end for him. Psalm 22 and other prophecies like these, two, three hundred of them, about the sacrifice of God tells me that this painful, loving sacrifice is not an accidental slip. It is not an unexpected, urgent necessity. It is not like needing to pluck the hole in a sinking boat. It was a sacrifice of infinite suffering and love that is placed from eternity to eternity, thought through thoroughly again and again, considered deeply and committed to with the full knowledge of an incredible sacrifice. God said, here am I, here am I. I put out my hands, I call unto you, I seek for you. A mighty God, sometimes I wonder, am I that worthy? I am humbled by this. I am here. As God vividly points forwards, pens forwards, some of the details of his own sacrifice. And that's why I put side by side Psalm 22 and one of the gospel recordings of Jesus on the cross, which is John chapter 19. Please go home and read the two 
together side by side. Psalm 22 tells me that Jesus said, the prophecy of Jesus, I am in a state of total helplessness, for trouble is near and there is no one to help me. That was Jesus. And you read in John 19 that the soldiers crucified him. In Psalm 22 it says that the dogs around me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. And then, in, in, you know the gospel story of how the soldiers dividing his garment. And in Psalm 22, it says that they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And then about Jesus being thirsty, that was also in Psalm 22, that my mouth is dried up like a post, post hurt and my, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust to die, which is what, what John 19 says. You know, the soldiers brings a sponge of vinegar to Jesus who was thirsty before Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Psalm 22 talks about the soldiers came and did not break the legs of Jesus. Oh, sorry, John 19 said that. And, and Psalm 22 said, oh, my, my bones are on display. And Psalms 34 and other Psalms says that he protects all his bones that none of them will be broken. It's it's incredible how the two events, the prophecy and the actual events, line up with one another. But I want to read to you John chapter thirty-three, uh, John chapter nineteen, verse thirty-three, which is which is very unusual. The soldier came because it was uh, nearly the Sabbath day. They want the people hanging on the cross to die. And this was written by John, the disciple. As you know, he was the only disciple standing at the foot of the cross. The soldiers therefore came and broke the leg of the first man on both sides of Jesus, and uh, who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the others. But when they came to Jesus, verse 33, and found that he was already dead, the reason why Jesus was already dead was probably because Jesus, unlike the other two criminals, uh, were flogged, beaten very badly, bleeding very badly, even before he went on the cross. So they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden gush of blood and water. The man who saw this has given testimony. That is John talking about himself. And his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you may also believe. That's a very unusual statement. Never seen in the gospel or any other writer. I am writing this down. Okay? This is what John said. I am telling you I saw it. Okay? And this testimony I give is true. And he say again, he knows that he tells the truth. And then he says again, he testifies so that you may believe. John is almost saying, look, this is understandable. But I am telling you, I'm standing at the foot of the cross and I saw this and it is true. What did he see? He see the soldier came and the soldier did not break the leg of Jesus. But instead, they pierced the side of Jesus with a spear. Bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. I think some of you may remember I was uh, a cardiologist, retired. And as a cardiologist, I was away from the church at that time. Uh, I had been drifting away from the Lord for 15 years. I look at this and I say, what did this mean? Okay, 
What does this mean? You know, in Psalms 22, verse 14, this is what, Jesus, what, what the psalm says. I am poured out like water, and I move my bones, bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. When I first read that Psalm 22, I told you it was a difficult psalm for me, and I said, hmm, that probably means metaphorically that Jesus uh, was spent in energy, in life. I was poor. It was not until a few years later, in fact, three or four years later, before, that I linked the two together from a medical point of view. You see, when I was away from the Lord and looking at that verse, I went into medical journal. And one of the medical journal, uh, uh, which I still remember, a JMI, uh, JAMA, uh, Journal of American Medical Association, 1960-something medical. And it talked about how this is medically uh, happening. In fact, I worked that out myself before I read that journey. You see, uh, as a cardiologist, some, some of you may, may know of people or even yourself has heart failure. When you have heart failure, what happens is your, 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 your heart is not pumping the blood well enough. And as a result of your heart not pumping well enough, uh, blood bank up behind your heart in your lungs. And that blood built up pressure in your lung. Okay. And that heart, that pressure causes the fluid to come out into your, your lung space. We call it the puru space. It's called the puru effusion. And in the old days, especially when we don't have very strong medicine, when the patient is with that sort of fluid, what do they do? They hang on to the side of the bed and they'll struggle and they'll, <gasps> Put himself out in order to take a breath, in order to use what we call the muscles of the chest to do that. <sighs> and they're very uncomfortable. And sometimes we will therefore put a needle into the chest wall and pew, the water will come out, will spurt out. You see, John Gospel, John did not tell us where the spear Jesus. Is it on the left side or in the right side? And I was thinking to myself, if they spear Jesus on the right side, that's a liver down here, uh, blood, yes. And if they spear a bit higher, there's lung, there's air. If they spear a little bit on the left side, there's a spleen, there's lots of blood. If they spear a little bit higher and more centrally, they get the heart and lots of blood. And they spear a little bit onto that side, they've got the lung, that is the air. Where does water and blood come from? That's why John said, I tell you, I'm seeing, I'm standing at the, at the foot of the cross. I see, I give you the testimony. My testimony is true. I testify it so that you can believe. The reason is this. The king of kings, a 33-year-old man, hung on the cross. He cannot breathe. Have you tried hanging on a monkey bar? You cannot breathe. You have to pull out yourself in order to breathe. And how did people die on the cross? People die on the cross not, not just because of the suffering of the pain everything. And it's because they cannot breathe. They are choked to death. As you become weaker and weaker, you cannot push yourself out to breathe. And that's why the soldier came and they broke the legs of those who are still breathing. Once your legs are broken, your bones are broken, you cannot even help yourself to breathe. Efficiated. You choked to death. But the king of kings, he died because his heart has failed. He was heartbroken. 
And if you were God a thousand years, ten thousand years, a million years before, you paint forward this picture of yourself being mocked, being insulted, being wounded. On this side of Easter, when I read Isaiah 65, new heavens and a new earth, I believe I can sing with joy. I believe the God who made this promise, He cares enough. He loves sacrificially enough to make sure that will happen. Can He do it? Has He got the ability? Of course. That's why Easter resurrection is so important. In the resurrection, Jesus tells us, I create life. I create a new life. I create a glorious body. I create something that will be eternal. I'm not going to talk to you about how I became a Christian again by the grace of God. It is because of the resurrection. My logical thinking about resurrection by the grace of God. But I'm going to read from Chuck Carlson. Some of you remember Chuck Carlson, who was a Nixon handsman uh, during the Watergate uh, affair. And he became uh, indicted, put in jail. He became a Christian just before then. And he has been working in prison fellowship uh, for a while. And uh, this is what he said about resurrection. And it makes a lot of sense. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testify that they have seen Jesus raised from the dead, then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison. They would not endure that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You are telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. That's from Charles Carlson. This is my God. This is our God. A God who said to me, I reveal myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I. Here am I. And the God who said, my servants will sing out of the joy of their heart. He promised we can do that. Rejoice, brothers and sisters. And again, I say, rejoice. Let me bless you with a benediction that combines Isaiah 65 and Numbers 6. Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. And he watches over you. The Lord makes his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his favor, his assurance upon you and give you peace. The Lord cause your hearts to be filled with 
overflowing joy and your soul to gush out singing, immerse in his promise, in his gifts, in his wonder, and in his beauty. May the Lord bless you.